The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. All of the projections we reference during the show are available to our patrons before we record each week. Tier 2 and Tier 3 supporters also receive exclusive access to our 2020 FBS team profiles, which include daily updated player ratings, depth charts, and point spread projections, plus our team and player stat projections database. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge to learn more. Welcome into the CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter, at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, for all of the Twitter needs for my friendo, Xavier. Nick, we had more football, more teams to go over this week, more fun adjusting depth charts and all that good stuff. So how was your weekend? Weekend, pretty busy, you know, trying to stay on top of everything, trying to catch up a little bit, make sure, uh, you know, go back and, and watch some of the games I maybe only saw a, a bit of and, and you know, diving, diving into the uh, box scores and, you know, fiddling with uh, some advanced stats and, and things like that, trying to make sure uh, really understood what uh, what went down. But, yeah, I mean, a little, little more. To work with this week, a, a few more teams in the mix, a few more games uh, to catch up on. But you know, as we'll talk about here in a bit, it, it's going to be ramping up more and more from here on out. It sounds like. Yeah, Xavier, how was your weekend? Which uh, which game did you enjoy watching the most? <laughs> I think you know the answer to that one. Um, I was on Twitter trolling Florida State fans. That that was that was my weekend. Uh, quality content. If you want to follow me on Twitter, everybody. Uh, this weekend was fun. Uh, you know, <laughs> it was fun for me. A lot of conversations with Florida State fans about how their season's over. But um, other than that, obviously the NFL was back. So that was something that I couldn't be more happy about. Uh, but the weekend was great. The weekend was great. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, lot of football this weekend. Just watching, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Texas open up on Saturday and look real good. And then uh, the Steelers, my Steelers open up on Monday night and look yeah, real good. Yeah, real good so. again. Yep. Uh, I was uh, very, very happy. And then my internet started acting weird. So, uh, you know, we'll uh, take two, one step forward, two steps back. That's just always the way it goes. So I'm hoping I'll be on this whole, sh- whole show, but I may have <laughs> to hand off the reins to Nick because the internet has been acting screwy for me here in Arizona. Maybe it's the fires. Maybe my internet has COVID. I don't know what it is. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm very angry with it right now. But look, uh, you know, we talked about one step forward, two steps back. Uh, I, I think uh, a, a big step forward that we're going to have here is the Big Ten is back. Yes. It was announced this morning <laughs> that the Big Ten is coming back. And Nick, you also heard some positivity about the Pac-12 possibly getting back as well. So uh, a lot of adjustments to be made, it seems, here. So uh, your initial thoughts on the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I think it, it it sounds good. I mean, the, it's it's official. We had heard some whispers. We had heard some uh, leaks over the last few days. And, and uh, you know, this morning, Wednesday, uh, we saw 
official word from the Big Ten that the president's uh, decision makers at the schools found enough uh, new evidence to uh, give the you know green light. Go ahead and, and return to uh, the field. Sounds like they're going to start playing uh, games on October 24th. Practices mm-hmm. uh, are, I believe, going to uh, begin immediately, which which is good. And and uh, you know, it sounds like they're going to play eight regular season games. Uh, they're doing something interesting, playing a ninth game. Everybody will play the uh, weekend of the Big Ten championship game. They'll do a cross division. Uh, a matchup, which will be fairly interesting, I think. The ones, of course, will play in in the championship game, then the twos, then the threes, and the fours. So, uh, kind of an interesting uh, new addition. Will will be fun to see how that shapes out. But that gives everybody uh, nine games, and and they're going to certainly have to to walk a tight rope. They have no room for error as far as cancellations or things like that to get everything in because they've got eight scheduled games in eight weeks, and then that. Uh, championship week is is the next one directly, and, and that is uh, you know the the day before the college football playoff committee is uh, currently scheduled to uh, you know make their final ranking. So good to have the Big Ten back for sure. Uh, was really excited about uh, you know quite a few Big Ten teams that we spent portions of the off season. Uh, talking about. So it'll be fun to see them on the field. And it'll be interesting also to see if we get uh, maybe some opt back ins from some of the guys uh, that opted out. I saw just just before we uh, sat down to record um, Wyatt Davis, the you know likely All-American guard at Ohio State, one of the best offensive linemen in the country is uh, reportedly uh, exploring being able to, to opt back in. So, uh, you know, good news all around and, and hopefully it'll stay that way and, and move forward. And then it sounds like based on some uh, things we've seen from the governors of California and Oregon, that maybe there's some momentum for the PAC 12 as well. So uh, who knows by this time next week, maybe we'll have uh, another conference in the mix as well. Fingers crossed. I'm, I'm hoping for it. So Xavier, your thoughts on the big 10 and PAC 12. Give me my college football back. This feels right. Um, I was talking to a friend about it earlier today. This just feels like now we can have a legitimate champion. Um, you know, and I think that's first and foremost from a competitive standpoint. Um, I think that I'm excited for this because now it looks like all the t- all conferences, barring the Pac-12, um, will now be able to have an opportunity to have a team in the college football playoff. It feels fair. It feels viable. It feels like there's no asterisk. Um, on this year as of right now. Obviously, we had the Pac-12. That gives us even more reason to not take away that asterisk. I'm just excited for it. Um, I'm excited to see who opts back in. Um, you know, we obviously lost some big names, Micah Parson, Rashad Bateman. I want to see if either one of them decide to come back. Obviously, with their NFL draft stock really not changing due to them opting out. Um, I just can't. I'm just excited. It gives us more college football to watch, more college football to study. Um, Justin Fields is ready to go. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's my internet acting yep. weird. I saw, it. I saw it that time. Uh, but Justin Fields was actually the person that I saw a tweet, let's go. And I was like, oh, the Big Ten's back. Well, nice to know. Uh, but I'm excited to see what see, see what, what could happen from this. And it would be even better to see the Pac-12 back because then I have something to do at 1030 at night when everybody else is asleep uh, or midnight, one in the morning when you know nobody's awake but me, Nick, and Scott. So, yeah. You didn't didn't enjoy uh, Kansas after dark? Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. 
from a Sunbelt from Carolina after from a Sun Belt. Yeah, really? Yes, yeah, yeah. The Sun Belt did amazingly this weekend. I was ecstatic. Yeah, Big Twelve uh, wasn't uh, wasn't uh, <laughs> hoisting too many trophies this weekend, so it was not great uh, for the Big Twelve at all. So, uh, but. Uh, you know, the SEC is back next weekend, too, mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to have a lot to discuss there. But uh, Georgia is seems like they're going to have some quarterback stuff going in because JT D- Daniels still not cleared nope. to play, guys. So it uh, looks like Dewan Mathis is going to get week one as as of this point right now, Nick. So your thoughts on that? Everything that I've I've heard and read in the last you know week or so sounds like Dewan Mathis is is not not only just because J T Daniels is still not a hundred percent, but uh, sounds like Mathis is playing really really well in, in practice and and you know giving him a a legitimate uh, you know is is a legitimate competitor to win the job. So certainly an interesting piece to watch. I mean, talented guy. Uh, you know, big frame, big body. Haven't haven't heard much from him because he unfortunately was uh, out all of uh, last year, and then you know wasn't expected much this year when Jamie Newman was in the mix. So it'll be interesting if if he's able to uh, win this job or, or you know able to uh, certainly play. You know, if if Daniels isn't uh, back a hundred percent, so certainly you know something to watch. Excited to see what he can do for sure. Yeah, your thoughts on uh, on the quarterback situation in Georgia, Xavier? Yeah, I- I'm really excited to see offensively what this means. You know, Dewan Mathis obviously being the best athlete out of all three QBs, even with Jamie Newman being there. Um, I'm excited to see what he's able to do on the ground. We've been screaming at Georgia for a dual-threat quarterback since DJ Shockley left. Uh, and, and now we get to see what it looks like again with the guy who's able to get out of the pocket and actually use his legs that he was God given. So that's, that, that'd be great to see. Um, I think that that fits our current team structure better than possibly a pocket passer with the turnover at the offensive line. I think a quarterback that can move and be his ability to get out of the pocket and make plays happen is going to only help offensively. Also with the defense that we have running the football and controlling time of possession is something that I'm looking that I think they're going to do with Mathis very early on. Uh, so I'm excited to see what he can do. Uh, this is a guy who's been at Georgia for a while now. We've really not heard much, uh, but he's clearly the favorite amongst the coaches so far. And uh, yeah, I mean, JT Daniels, sit out. I would hate for him to come in, play, and get hurt again. You just came off of an injury. Don't risk yourself coming in and hurting yourself uh, just to try to play week one. Give yourself some time. Uh, and then LSU, Nick, has a couple guys uh, maybe deciding to opt back in. Neil Farrell has opted back in, and Tyler Shelvin is considering the same. What do you think about those moves? LSU needs you know all the, all the help they can get, especially defensively, just based on the, the amount of guys that we've talked about it so often during the offseason, you know, the guys they lost to the NFL draft have been – uh, since you know the the last few months when all this has been going on, they've had you know even more guys opt out, including a lot of uh, pretty high profile players, specifically on the the defensive side of the ball. Jamar Chase, of course, officially announced, though we we uh, knew that was coming a few weeks ago. But uh, you know, if uh, Farrell getting him back, it, it sounds like it might take him a little bit of time to work himself back up the depth chart. But adding some uh, depth. Uh, you know, on the interior defensive line, certainly a, a good thing. And if they were to get Shelvin back, who, uh, you know, I, th- I think we all think is uh, an all-American uh, type guy and a potential first-round draft pick, that would be absolutely huge. Uh, so, you know, more more positive news, uh, you know, in, in this case for LSU. And, and after uh, the last few weeks, you know, 
uh, probably a welcome a welcome bit of, of good news because we've heard things move in the other direction uh, a lot more recently. Yeah, it's bad enough, Xavier, that the, the SEC already gets all the best recruits. Now they're having guys opt back in after they've been out. So, uh, I mean, but uh, it's uh, I'm happy that we're going to get to see these guys play this year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Nick hit it right on the head. LSU needs as much help as they possibly can, especially on the defense defensive side of the football. And getting back these guys to be in the middle is going to be really, really big for them. Uh it we makes don't know. Me- Shelvin's not. Sorry to interrupt. Well, I, Shelvin's not official quite yet, but right, right. it sounds like he's yeah. strongly concerned. <laughs> yeah, I, they're I, pulling I, him. They're pulling him back in. I, I, yeah, I think it's one of those situations where he misses the field, and I don't blame. Him. At the end of the day, you're at your player. You want to compete. You want to play the game of football, and to just sit out a year and train for a year. I don't know if you guys have ever had to like train for a year, either off of injury or just preparing for something. It sucks. I mean, you'd rather play the game. Period. Yeah. And so I don't blame Shelvin and anybody who thinks about opting back in when they're watching, you know, UAB versus Miami and other games. And they're like, well, I might as well get back out there instead of sitting and working out in the gym seven days a week. I'm I'm a trained desk sitter. Now that's what I train for. So, and my body shows, shows that too. So, uh, but a couple other opt-ins, opt-out stuff like that. Little, uh, little news moving forward here. Texas A&M wide receiver Jamon Osmond has opted out for uh, this year and is going to enter the 2021 draft. So uh, he will not be playing for the Aggies this year. Vanderbilt starting safety Ted Tay Daly entered the transfer portal. So now they uh, have seen three returning starters go to the portal, and three out of the five. Uh, you know, three out of the five guys that have entered the portal for them were starters. Uh, Dylan McCaffrey is uh, reportedly opting out for 2020 and entered the transfer portal. So it looks like Joe Milton has won the job for the Wolverines. Also, uh, fellow Wolverine uh, Nico Collins opted out and signed with an agent. So he's just ready to move on yep. to the next level. Uh, Texas wide receiver Jordan Whittington suffered a knee injury and then went over to UTEP. So he's going to be out probably uh, three weeks to a month. For him, not a surprise there. He's kind of constantly banged up. Charlotte quarterback Chris Reynolds suffered an upper body injury against App State and is going to miss uh, at least the next game. And uh, that next one is at North Carolina uh, A&T, so they'll be fine. UAB, um, or, uh, that's against North Carolina on Saturday. I think uh-huh. I got that mixed up. <laughs> uh, and then UAB quarterback Tyler Johnson suffered a shoulder injury and is out indefinitely. So uh, any thoughts on that news, Nick? Yeah, I mean, you know, Texas A&M now has had a couple of guys opt out. Sounds like they're, you know, uh, sort of getting getting down to their uh, maybe final roster guys that were on the fence. Some of them have, have stepped away. Vanderbilt, you know, not not great news. We don't expect Vanderbilt probably to win uh, a game. Uh, so, I, you know, uh, that that's going to be tough. I mean, they they've had three guys like you mentioned starters who you know starters last year go into the transfer portal and then they've had five total opt-outs three of those guys uh we expected to be starters that, that weren't you know starters last year so Vanderbilt already working at a, a disadvantage but uh things don't don't necessarily seem to be getting better there the Michigan stuff is is uh pretty interesting I mean I was relatively high on Dylan McCaffrey he had played uh some last year we saw Joe Milton a, a little bit but um, it, it seemed like, you know, from what we saw the the depth chart last year, McCaffrey was ahead. But all the you know behind the scenes rumors, whispers, all of that, uh, people seem to be really, really excited about Milton. He seems to really have taken hold of this job and, and basically beat 
McCaffrey out. So interesting for sure to, to see where he lands. And then uh, always, of course, you know, with quarterbacks, you, you hate to see guys go down. Chris Reynolds, uh, a big loss for Charlotte. He's somebody that uh, has played really, really well. His replacement uh, looked good though, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and, in game yeah. one. And, and well, you uh, so so Reynolds played through pretty much the the injury last week, which was weird. Yeah, mm-hmm. UAB, we've seen uh, the backup. Oh, yeah, yeah that's uh, what I meant. Yeah. a bit, and, and I I was I don't know. Tyler Johnson hasn't hasn't looked as Isn't good it? this year as he as he did last year, in my opinion. He he kind of I I, I thought maybe he might be moving toward losing the job outright but uh i i'm trying to scroll back through and, and see if we saw uh the backup at, at, at charlotte last week i i couldn't i couldn't remember seeing it but i want to i want to double check but but yeah i mean you know it's something to watch of course in addition to everything else we've got to track there are regular old injuries that that will be popping up and, and of course you know i think i was thinking of um uh, i was thinking you oh that that's what I was thinking of. Uh, mm, coastal. Okay. So oh, sure, uh, sure. I was getting coastal right. and Charlotte mixed up. That's what it was. So gotcha, gotcha. But yeah, I mean that'll be that'll be one to watch because Charlotte, you know, played relatively well against App State mm-hmm. uh, this past week. Kept it close, and and I know they were hoping to uh, give North Carolina uh, a game. It's going to be that much more difficult without Reynolds. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on these? Uh, you know, these moves, transfer portal, guys opting out, all that good stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm really shocked that Osmond, uh, Jamon Osmond, decided to opt it, uh, out to enter the 2020 draft. 2021 pretty draft. Yeah. yeah, pretty late for him. To and, do and he kind of needed one more season. You know, he's coming off the back of a 66 reception, 872 yards, five touchdowns. That was kind of his first breakout year. Uh, before that, 375 yards in 2018, 571 in 2017. You hadn't seen the consistency of it, maybe a top of the line receiver. And you were kind of expecting that to be what, you know, this year was for him was the, his coming out party, his year to hit a thousand yards or hit another 800 yard season to bolster his draft stop. So I was a little surprised about that move. Um, as far as Dylan McCaffrey, I like Dylan McCaffrey personally. I thought he had the job pretty much sewn up. Uh, so I was a little surprised that uh, Joe Milton won the job. And, and, you know, obviously from McCaffrey's standpoint, you got to do what you got to do uh, in, that, in, in that regard. Nico Collins falls under the same kind of uh, place for me as Osmond does. A guy that showed flashes, has shown the ability to make plays on the outside, but hasn't shown it consistent, consistently yet. And, you know, another season for him being a big play guy for Michigan was going to help not only help his draft stock. So him opting out once again. A little weird for me. A little weird in that situation. I get it from a health standpoint, but from a purely draft standpoint, both of them needed one more season to really get into that second, possibly first round type of draft pick. Um, and as far as Tyler Johnson suffering the shoulder injury and being out indefinitely, that kind of, Nick said it. Tyler Johnson hasn't played that well this season. Um, although I, in the Miami game, I thought he, he played pretty decently. Um, the, the stats suggest that he did. Well, he didn't turn the ball, football over. Um, you know, he he played okay, 15 of 23, a buck 50, and a tub. That's not terrible, especially against a competition like Miami. That's not a bad day at the office. Um, I thought maybe he would improve on that performance when he was play, playing lesser competition. Uh, but obviously that sucks for him. And they do have a backup that I think can win them ball games in Lucero. He showed his ability against Central Arkansas. We'll see what he's able to do once they get into their conference play. 
Exactly. So uh, now it's time to go look at last week's results. And uh, last week was a fun week to watch. And uh, we're going to start out here, Nick, with Miami over UAB 31 to 14. Derek King looked, I'm going to say looked okay. He mm-hmm. didn't look great. Uh, pretty good running on the ground. The passing was hit or miss. It took him a little while mm-hmm. to finally start getting going with Brevin Jordan. Uh, so what were your thoughts on that Miami UAB game? I thought I thought it was a positive. Uh, you know, the, the, the stats were nothing, you know, cer- certainly not incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I thought that we saw enough from De'Aaron King to – to think that Miami is going to take a step forward at the quarterback position for sure, hopefully offensively uh, as a whole. So, you know, good, good. I, I thought it was good. He certainly gives them a, a, an element uh, that they were missing as, as far as uh, really, you know, he, he's a weapon when he, when he runs with the football. I thought he at times had maybe, you know, some happy feet looked to run a little too early. And I think part of that was he hadn't played in almost a year, um, you know, and, and had been on the sidelines watching for most of last season. So that probably played into it a little bit. Uh, Also, we saw some rust. I mean, he missed a wide open guy Mm -hmm. at the end zone, uh, you know, could have been, could have been his first touchdown pass of the game early on, but just, you know, rushed it or, or thought too much or got too excited or something and, and just completely, you know, airmailed uh, an open receiver uh, down, down by the goal line. But I think overall I saw enough to think, okay, you know, I, I, I've been relatively high on Miami and I, I liked how they ran the football. The offensive line looked maybe better, still not great. I'm sure Xavier's got some thoughts on that. Uh, but you know, they, they ran the football well and, and UAB is pretty good up front. I mean, they're, they're, they're better, you know, rushing the passer. Uh, but you know, Miami, I thought was able to control, uh, things on the ground decently well, uh, had some big runs. I mean, you know, everybody on the stat sheets got a, a 25 yard gain on the ground here. So, uh, pretty, you know, pretty good night overall. I thought for Miami, uh, you know, they didn't blow out UAB, but I think, uh, you know, UAB was basically coming into the year uh, right there at the top of our Conference USA power rankings the, the entire offseason and actually our, our preseason favorite. So, um, you know, I, I think this is a better win than maybe it, it looks like uh, when you just look at Derek King's numbers or when you just look at 31-14 doesn't look super impressive, but they did cover. Uh, and, and I thought really controlled the game for the most part. So liked what I saw there. Uh, the defense is still, you know, probably as good as, as we thought it was going to be. Uh, so so good signs overall, I thought, for Miami. Your thoughts on that uh, Miami-UAB games, Javier? Yeah, I, w- I thought offensively it's exactly what I'm going to expect from Miami this year. They're going to ha- they're not going to be a very potent offense through the air. And I know Rust and Derek King's first game back and – it wasn't necessarily that for me. It was his the receivers didn't win a lot. Um, you know, you watch the game, and yes, he missed some wide open throws. Don't get me wrong. However, it only seemed like the only guy who could consistently get open for him when he needed it was Brevin Jordan. And I think that that's going to be a consistent issue with this ball club is they don't have receivers right now who have separated themselves to be good enough against high quality uh, competition. And this was against UAB. This isn't 
Florida State. This isn't Clemson. This isn't North Carolina. This isn't the rest of the ACC. They had trouble getting off the ball, getting into their routes. There was a, a there was a lot of continuity issues on some timing routes that you could see where they would just not be on the same page whatsoever. And I think that that's going to be a consistent issue all year long. Um, but like I said, I think that this team is going to rely on its ground game. It's going to rely on Derek King and Cameron Harris running the ball. Jalen Knighton even ran for 59 yards. And once again, I know that they're playing UAB, but this is where the strength of Miami's offense is going to be. It's going to be on the ground. They're going to have to win time of possession because they don't have a lot of depth defensively. Um, you know, Throughout the game, you it just looked like Miami was tired throughout the game at times. And I don't know if that was the heat of being in Florida, first game. I don't know what the conditioning has been throughout their uh, fall workouts. But it looked like they were tired defensively at times. And, and for me, that's going to be a huge thing because of how much they're going to rely on their front seven to get pressure because they have a younger back end. So I, I'm, I'm, looking to, I'm looking forward to see if Derrick King can get on a better streak next week or this week, excuse me, in the passing game. But I wouldn't be surprised if once again we see Derrick King running for two scores uh, and, and King also adding a score in there because that's where their offense is going to primarily come from. And that's because that offensive line is not good enough yet. They're just not there yet. And it, it's going to be because UAB had two sacks on the day. If UAB can get two sacks with the talent that we've talked about in and out of this conference at the defensive end position with Basham and, and company, we can only imagine what's going to happen in another week. So – Offensive line needs to get better, but they definitely controlled the ground game. So that was a good, that was a positive for them. I just couldn't imagine your smile if Miami and Florida State would have lost. Uh, it, it would have been, uh, it would have been a much more fun show to do. But we still got Florida State. We'll, just wait till we'll, next week. Yeah, we'll get to, we'll get to in a minute here. But North Carolina, uh, thirty-one over Syracuse, six. Um, kind of expected, Nick, but uh, Syracuse looked real bad. Yeah, and, and Syracuse lost, uh, qu you know, had quite a few missed opportunities, especially in the first half. I mean, they, they could have gone up by uh, a touchdown a couple of times early on, uh, just just could not punch it in, uh, could not convert, and and uh, just sort of, you know, let a close game slip away. This was 7-3 to three at halftime. The Syracuse defense played relatively well gave up a, a quick score on the opening drive kind of settled down a little bit uh but the the offense which you know we expect Syracuse to be able to move the football and and score but uh Tommy DeVito did not look great ended up you know getting uh benched in the fourth quarter Syracuse averaged three and a half yards per pass attempt under two yards per carry uh, offensively we talked last week that they had you know two uh their their two top expected running backs have have we think opted out were not available for the game uh had issues on the offensive line Syracuse is is probably going to have a, a bit of a rough season but they they could have uh made this a much closer game and and you know North Carolina just sort of eventually wore them down, pulled away and and covered but this was a, a close game until the fourth quarter to you know, pretty late in the fourth quarter. Uh, so, uh, you know, you, you, if you're looking for silver linings, Syracuse had opportunities. So maybe, you know, next time they'll do a better job of, of capitalizing on those opportunities. But uh, North Carolina took a, took a little while to get going, but uh, you know, with that other than that, that opening drive, but uh, overall, I mean, they've got playmakers all over the place. Uh, they, they've got talent. They've accumulated talent defensively. Chesserat, 
uh, you know, was was all over the place once again at, at linebacker. So uh, I, I think it was could have been better if you're North Carolina. You you would have liked to seen them uh, control this game from start to finish. But uh, once once the dust settled, it, it, North Carolina did well enough, I think, and and. Uh, they had a, a bit of a role to play at times in, in Syracuse's mistakes as well. So uh, solid win, good win, probably going to be a long year for Syracuse. Uh, yeah, it looks like it's going to go that way for them. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on this game? Yeah, Nick hit it right on the head. UNC didn't wake up until the fourth quarter. I mean, this was if this was any game for Syracuse to make the upset, it was right here. It was right there in front of your face. Sam Howell threw two picks on the day. He didn't look good up until the fourth quarter. They couldn't really get the ground game going consistently at all. Uh, and it just really looked like UNC was asleep and wasn't ready for the game. And Syracuse looked just as bad as – looked even worse than they did. And that's some, uh, that was very telling for me because I really expected, you know, especially – Offensively, this is a team that has had its woes, but believe in Tommy DeVito. We, we Every year we come in and they talk about how much Tommy DeVito's gotten better, how he's taken the progress, how he's taken steps toward being a better quarterback, how the four-star – and before the broadcast or the game even started, you heard in the broadcast, Tommy DeVito, the four-star quarterback. I'm waiting for him to play like a four-star. He has yet to show it consistently at all at Syracuse. He got if did he get benched in this game or did he get hurt? I can't. I couldn't remember. Yeah, he, he got benched later mm-hmm. on. It just – yeah. Yeah, for, for, for Rex Culpepper, right, who, who ended mm-hmm. up coming in and throwing a pick. So his day wasn't much better either. So it just – from Syracuse, it's going to be a long year. Uh, for UNC, hey, you got your bad game out of it, out your system. If I'm a coach, I'm not happy with it. We got the win. It looks nice. We're 1-0. and But you got the bad game out of your system. You know, this is not a game Sam Howell should look back on with, with, with fondness. He didn't play all that well. Threw for a lot of yards, but was not very effective. Um, you know, Daz Newsom only caught two passes for 25 yards, so he can't look back on this game and be excited for it either. Uh, the only thing I would be excited for is that they got a lot of pressure on the quarterback. They had six sacks as a team. You know, when you walk away like that, that's something that you can obviously uh, hang your hat on and hopefully something that could stick for them. Uh, but like I said, this is a this was a bad game for both teams, but UNC progress is necessary if you guys are going to compete in the ACC. Yeah, yeah. So um, that that. The, the Syracuse got to look better. I mean, UNC UNC can drop some. You know that they they've been known to drop some. So, uh, got to look better than that. This one, I mean, this was like step one of the Big Twelve looking like absolute garbage uh, <laughs> in the day. So, I mean, look, Texas and Oklahoma look good. Texas played UTEP. Oklahoma played Missouri State. So, congratulations, you beat cupcakes. But uh, this I was one, a little disappointed Texas let UTEP score. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, oh my yeah goodness. Same. Same. <laughs> so uh i was also disappointed but you know you take a touchdown on the first play of the game i'll i'll roll with that that's okay but louisiana 31 over utah or uh, utah iowa state 14 and brock purdy looked terrible um you know the defense uh absolutely did not play up to snuff here nick uh, nothing really went right for iowa state in this game yeah i mean you 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 said it i mean brock purdy Louisiana kept him, you know, basically he, he had his worst overall game of his career. And Brock Purdy somebody that uh, has started, what, 25 games, something like that, and, and uh, was in the, 
you know, periphery of the Heisman conversation. There have been some some people that thought Iowa State could really contend in the Big 12. I certainly thought, you know, I still do. One game doesn't necessarily make a season. Uh, but people expect Iowa State to give Oklahoma, to give Texas trouble, you know, from week to week. They've certainly shown capable of, of knocking somebody off on any given day. But they've started really slow at times under Matt Campbell. Uh, so, you know, the the – uh, it, it was a disappointing start for sure. Purdy looked uh, really bad and, and you know, put, I, I think, a career low uh, QBR. I, I saw that uh, friend uh, Parker Fleming uh, does a write-up for Football Outsiders each, each week and, and drop that as a, a stat in his uh, Monday column there. But also, you know, a second lowest completion percentage uh, of any game, a second lowest yards per attempt of any game in his career. So kudos to Louisiana for, for shutting him down. Uh, they, you know, allowed some, some rushing yards. Brees Hall went over a hundred yards, uh, but the, the game really turned on three big plays. I mean, uh, the Raging Cajuns had a punt return for a touchdown, a kick return for a touchdown and a 78 yard uh, touchdown pass. So you take, I mean, you know, you can't just say remove those three plays, but you, you it makes you a little bit nervous probably if, if uh, you're having to rely on plays like that, uh, you know, long term. It, it worked out here. They played excellent defense, had some, you know, big momentum swinging plays on, on special teams and in the long pass, but a little bit worried that they couldn't really get the, the running game going. Iowa State defensively looked pretty good overall. Uh, but, you know, Louisiana absolutely deserved to win this game. And, and uh, Iowa State let them hang around and, and it eventually bit them. They just couldn't get the offense uh, really clicking. So huge win for Louisiana. Billy Napier is is probably not going to be there that much longer, you wouldn't think. Uh, one of the hottest names in, in you know, coaching circles right now. And, and uh, maybe this Louisiana team – you know, now they're ranked in the top 25, you know, I know it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I was, I was writing, uh, I did a preview this week for, uh, Athlon, the, the Louisiana Georgia state game and, and came across a note that, uh, ULL, uh, this is their second week ever being ranked. The last mm-hmm. time was in 1943. So nice. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, they, they deserve it. They, they have played really well the last few years, won the West, uh, the Sun Belt the last two years, look like a team that, um, maybe can get over the hump this year. Uh, and, you know, basically you would expect everybody else on the schedule to, to not be as, uh, difficult on paper as Iowa State. So maybe this is, uh, a team that can, you know, make a run at, at a, uh, New Year's Six, if that's going to be a thing this year. But a uh, huge win, absolutely. Uh, it was maybe a little closer than the final score might indicate. A couple of things that are going to have to clean up uh, moving forward. But overall, great win for, for Louisiana, for sure. You, your thoughts on this game, Xavier? I mean, t- tough one to see for Iowa State. And, you know, Matt Campbell's name always comes up with, enormous schools in the NFL sometimes too. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. this was a disappointing loss all the way around. So the last time Louisiana was ranked, Scott was like seven. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I think you're going to get old one day. Xavier. I know. <laughs> and I'm awaiting for the joke. I'm waiting for it. Um, At least I didn't have to live through pandemics in college and stuff. You did. Like that, you were so. part of the great depression. 
Like <laughs> back but, in my day, it wasn't as bad as it is now. So <laughs> um, but my biggest one of my biggest takeaways from this game was midway through, I think, the third quarter. Um I can't remember her name, but she came, but uh, there was a sideline reporter for the game. She came across and she said, Louisiana thought that they could play man on Iowa State because they don't see it often. And when I heard her say that, it made me really question, one, the defenses that they're playing in the Big 12. That's first and foremost. But secondly, that Iowa State was not prepared for the man defense that that thought that they were going to see on Saturday. I just, it looked like every time Brock Purdy dropped back the pass, nobody was open. He was throwing to spaces and there was nobody there. Uh, the athletes that Iowa State had on the outside were hemmed up for pretty much the entire ball game. He got it to his tight end a couple of times. Xavier Hutchinson made a couple of catches, but overall it was really poor from their skill, from their skill position against what you would expect talent-wise, to be lesser talent due to, obviously, high school rankings and things of that nature. But Louisiana really dominated, and they trusted that man defense, and they got after the quarterback. You know, Brock Purdy, like I said, was really looking for help from anywhere but <laughs> anywhere else and couldn't find it. Um, as a former special teams player my entire career, high school and college, this was fabulous for me to see. When, when, when special teams can, quote-unquote, win a ball game, I, I love to see it. It, it makes it it make it shows you that all three phases of football matter. And, and they showed that Louisiana was able to dominate the special teams, obviously having was it two or three scores? I cannot remember. Two. Punt return and kick return. Oh, Missed a couple of field goals, I think. So yes. you gotta clean that up. Yeah, but. you take the kill with the bet. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and it was really a dominating performance from Louisiana. I'm excited to see them in person this week as they're going to obviously be coming down and playing Georgia State. Uh, that makes that game even more fun for me because it's a ranked opponent now instead of just Louisiana. Um, but Iowa State has got to get back to the drawing board. They got exposed on Saturday for a lot of things that teams are going to look forward to. Don't be surprised if the next team that they play plays man. Um, you know, And that's going to be TCU, not this week, but the week next. So don't be surprised if they come out there with the second day that they have and they play man. They're going to have to fix some things. Brock Purdy's going to have to go back to the drawing board. Nick, you hit it right on the head. This is his lowest completion percentage since his freshman year on the road against Texas, where he threw for 43%. This game was 45.7. Um, it's just an all-around bad day uh, for Iowa State offensively and defensively and even on special teams. So, uh, yeah. All right, it's Notre Dame and Duke game. Uh, you know, Notre Dame is 27-13, but not quite what we expected, Nick. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it was it was I think a little bit closer certainly than our projections thought. Uh, our our official you know point spread projections. Uh, it, it was a little bit of a sleepy game. You know, took <laughs> took a little while to get going. Uh, three nothing through the first quarter. Duke had a, an early lead, uh, but you know Notre Dame uh, turned it on and, and didn't didn't completely pull away, but kind of had control of this game. It, it felt like, and you know. Early fourth quarter, uh, for sure. Ian Book, a little bit shaky at times, you know, did throw for 260 yards, a touchdown through an interception, of course. Uh, Kyron Williams, the mm -hmm. somewhat surprise yeah. uh, starter at running back that, that we only learned of, uh, uh, you know, in the days leading up. 
to the game, went over 100 yards, scored a couple of touchdowns, and, and added 93 receiving yards on two catches. So uh, certainly a great start if you're looking for – we wondered a lot all offseason, you know, what's that running game going to look like? And early indications are that, that Kyron Williams is going to be uh, a playmaker there. So that's certainly good to see. Notre Dame needs some playmakers, though, at the – you know, wide receiver positions, Paris Gornick, uh, unfortunately, you know, suffered an injury. Looks like he's going to be out for sure this week and it, it might be lingering. Uh, you know, we got to see the freshman uh, hopefully step up a little bit. It sounds like from, from just sort of the vague comments from Brian Kelly that, that, you know, younger guys uh, have a little growing up to do before Notre Dame feels like they're going to be able to, to really lean on them. Uh, and then they didn't have, uh, Lindsay, Brian Lindsay in, in this game it, it was, was a bit banged up, uh, coming in. It sounds like he will be back. Uh, Braden Lindsay, excuse me, the, the, uh, incredibly fast, uh, sophomore, uh, probably add some excitement to, to that group. But, you know, Avery Davis, former running back, former defensive back, caught a touchdown as a starting wide receiver. So maybe they'll be able to, to get enough guys on the field you know, together to give book a little bit more, uh, to work with, but overall, you know, I, I mentioned that I thought the Iowa state game was closer than the final score. This game, I, I feel like was a little bit, uh, you know, Notre Dame played a little bit better than this final score might indicate. I know a lot of people, uh, seem to be high on Duke going into this week against Boston college. We're somewhat impressed by, uh, their performance in this game, I, I, I imagine, you know, defensively in some ways. I, I didn't necessarily see that. I, I thought, you know, this was pretty much in hand for Notre Dame most of most of the game once they kind of got through that first quarter. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. Duke is the kind of team well-coached, doesn't usually uh, hurt themselves too much. Uh, but, you know, Notre Dame, I think, proved that it was certainly the better team. And, and uh, the final score might not show it, but I thought this was a, a solid start for Notre Dame. Certainly, as with everybody, things to clean up. But uh, a decent start and got to 1-0. First ACC win. How about that? Javier, uh, I'm ready for you uh, to, to talk about Notre Dame here. So let's hear it. Oh, yeah. Oh, this was not a good game for Notre Dame. I, I, I don't know if Nick and me were watching different performances, but this was not a top 10 team. It wasn't perfect, but it wasn't good in any <laughs> the imagination. Uh, Kyron Williams, obviously, he had a great day. So I, I'll, I'll start with the positives. He, in any big run he had, he was running through the Grand Canyon. I mean, those holes were massive. Um, so I'll give him the credit there. Their running game looked good. Yeah. So, but Ian Book, and I've said this every time we talk about Notre Dame, I don't trust the guy. He does not play up to his competition. He doesn't play consistently well at all. 19 for 31, 263, a touchdown and an interception is not what I want from my senior quarterback who I'm hoping to win a national championship with against Duke of all people. We're talking about Duke. We're not talking about Clemson. We're not talking about even Florida State and, and the, the the secondary that they have. We're talking yeah, about Al, Allen Iverson here with us. You know, we're talking about Duke. I, I'm just we're not saying. talking about the game. Not the game. <laughs> Not the game. We're talking, We're talking about practice. About Duke. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just don't so, – so for Ian Book, this is a game that he needs to just throw in the fire, forget about, and restart next week. Once again, kind of like Sam Howell, you won the game, you played poorly. Throw it away, short memory, 
get back to what you know how to do and perform better next week. From a Duke perspective, I thought that Duke had this game in hand personally if they could finish in the red zone. I don't know how many times they got down there, but they could not run the football. And that was a big issue in the red zone. Every time they got down there, every time they crossed the 50, you just felt like it had to all of a sudden, it, it needed Chase Bryce to be immaculate from there on in. And that was their biggest issue with me. Obviously, when Chase Bryce is your second leading rusher, you're not doing something right here. I just think that Duke can build on this game and they can look at it and say, we did not finish when we should have. You know, first and second quarter, if they score touchdowns, it's 14-10 going into halftime. And this is a whole different ballgame. Um, and I think that's where we saw the difference between Duke and Notre Dame was their ability to put touchdowns on the board versus field goals. Obviously, that indicates it in the score. But also, like I said, I think Duke played better than what I think people give them credit for. Um, and I think that Notre Dame should definitely look in the mirror and say, we are not our ranking yet. Let's not smell the roses too quickly. We've had a long way to go. It's going to be a longer season, I think people are giving them. And the whole them versus Clemson talk and who's better in the ACC just needs to be squashed for right now because Clemson looked far better than Notre Dame did on Saturday. Well, uh, a team that didn't look far better than anybody was Florida State, and they lost to Georgia Tech here, Nick, and uh, <laughs> easily the most surprising uh game of the weekend in a weekend where there was a bunch of upsets so uh but this one was by far the most shocking so how did it happen yeah it, it certainly was a surprise i mean we we talked last week i mentioned that this was one of the games where our three different projection models all you know thought there was an edge with with florida state and, and expected them to cover win pretty handily and and it, it certainly didn't work out that way it, it looked pretty good on on the opening drive uh, Florida State went down, scored a touchdown, looked good offensively, and and then had a weather delay. And and you know once they came back, things just changed. They couldn't really get couldn't really get going. James Blackman, you know, is uh, pretty infuriating to watch sometimes. I think if you're a Florida State fan, just uh, has so much potential it seems, and and just uh, will make a play every once in a while that. Uh, is exciting, but then makes sort of a, you know, a bonehead decision and, and uh, turns the ball over. And, and, you know, Florida State really couldn't couldn't run the ball. Georgia Tech, uh, we expected a Jeff Collins coached uh, Georgia Tech defense would eventually be pretty good. They, they were good at times last year as well. And, and it seems like, you know, maybe the defense is, is really uh, going to be a, a solid unit top to bottom this year. And that's certainly uh, we've talked before about how you know Georgia Tech's got some real positive momentum recruiting. We saw evidence of that. True freshman Jeff Sims won the quarterback competition this fall, got the start. Uh, kind of almost in some ways the opposite of Blackman started really shaky. A couple of interceptions, a couple of bad interceptions yeah. to Asante Samuel Jr., uh, but got got comfortable. And, and as the game went on, uh, you know, got got better and better. And, and so that's certainly a positive sign. Looked like, you know, the kind of guy that could lead a, a fourth quarter come from behind win, which he did as a first-time starter. Uh, ended up, you know, 277 yards, threw a touchdown pass, uh, added 64 yards on the ground. But, you know, he's, he's a big guy, 6'6", 220, something like that. Kind of a, a glides when he runs, you know, covers a lot of ground 
quickly, doesn't necessarily look fast, but but uh, certainly you know picks up big chunks of yards uh, potentially. So good for Georgia Tech to have a weapon, you know, as a quarterback, a, a dual threat guy. They've got not a ton of depth, but they've got some playmakers. Uh, you know, Jordan Mason, good running back. Malachi Carter did some good things. Jalen Camp, receivers. The the transfer, Marquez Ezzard, 45-yard, uh, looked good on a, a long catch and run. So, you know, they, they've got some pieces. Our numbers don't really respect Georgia Tech still, to be honest. They were mid-90s in our power rankings uh, of all 130 teams coming into this game. Big win, looked good, especially on defense. Uh, they're only 86th now. So, We've talked before, sometimes our numbers are a little slow to recognize teams that have really taken a step forward. Um, I don't know if I buy it yet that Georgia Tech is ready to take a step forward, but this is certainly uh, you know, good to see if, if you're hoping that they're going to be a lot more competitive and, and a lot more consistent this year. Uh, but a, a great place to start, pick up a big win uh, over a conference rival on the road. Uh, over a story program. So absolutely, congratulations for, for Georgia Tech, Jeff Collins, uh, big win, and, and they deserved it. Yeah, big, big win for Georgia Tech, Xavier, and curious to hear your thoughts on Florida State and the way they played. So I'll start with the positives of Florida State before I slandered them. <clears throat> this has to be one of the weirdest losses, one of the more dominating losses I've ever watched in my life. Florida State's defense is as advertised. They mm-hmm. were good. They were really good, uh, you know, and if you didn't see and if you think because they lost, you didn't see it, just go watch the special teams plays. I mean, how many field goals did they block on the day? And that was from starting defensive tackles that this is happening from it. starting defensive ends that this kind of push that you're getting on field goal attempts just to give you guys an idea of how much they, how dominant they can be up front. Now I'll get to the negatives. James Blackman, my guy, come on. It's year three. You have been the starter or the incumbent every almost every year now since DeAndre Francois left. And it's time for you to finally step up and be a complete quarterback at Florida State. Now, I don't know if this is a, a maturation problem. I don't know if this is uh, something to do with the coaching staff that they haven't been able to grow his game in the years that he's been there. But he looked bad. And I don't get why in going into your last year as a possible starter for Florida State that he looks like a freshman. I couldn't tell which one was the fr- was the freshman at times. Jeff Sims, after his couple of picks in the first in the first half, looked like he calmed down and looked like he was ready to play football. James Blackman was the complete opposite. After his touchdown drive, he was the shaky one. He was the one making bad throws. I mean, I don't know how many times you have to miss Tamorian Terry. I don't know how you do it. He's a freak of nature. He's 6'5", 200 and plus pounds, and runs a sub 4'5", and you're missing him on wide open post routes. It's like, come on. I, I, and that's my biggest issue with Florida State on the day was I just felt like offensively, they just couldn't, couldn't get started whatsoever. Um, I, and Nick, to your point, I don't know if it was due to the rain delay. Uh, maybe that has something to do with their slow start after uh, they put together, which was a really, really good drive to start the game off. But also the run game could not get started. And I think that that was a big problem. James Blackman should never be throwing the ball 43 times in a ball game. Unless it's an absolute blowout. This should not be doing it. Most quarterbacks don't need to throw the ball 40 plus times in a game unless it's to do it to win. And in this game, to to entrust James Blackman with having to throw the football that many times is just not it's not it doesn't bode well. Uh from a Georgia Tech perspective, 
I really love Jeff Sims. I think he's just going to get better as the year goes on. I think that the, the picks that he threw were very, like, high school-ish. He was staring down the safeties. They just weren't moving. He was like, I'm going to just throw it anyways. I was like, Jeff, this isn't high school anymore. It's not going to work. Um, but, you know, I think as he gets – and as he gets more comfortable using his legs other than trusting his arm, I think he'll be even more dynamic, and it's going to be even scarier to see what this kid is year three, year two, year three, year four, because uh, I think he looked better and, and and really poised when he had to be in the second half, especially down the stretch when they needed a score to win the ball game. Um, Georgia Tech, fix your special teams. I feel sorry for your kicker. He was looking at a wall all day, but outside of that, kudos on the win. Florida State, nah. <laughs> well, the most exciting game of the day was definitely UTSA and Texas State going into double overtime. And Texas State had some uh, COVID guys out in this one, too. So uh, how did this one unfold, Nick? Uh, it was a wild game. <laughs> and uh, this this was, you know, well, uh, our, our overall official record this week against the spread was not great. But this was a, a bright spot. You know, we talked last week that UTSA thought should have been, you know, the, the team that was favored. For some reason, it just didn't make sense to me that uh, Texas State was, you know, around a touchdown favorite uh, in this game. And, and early on, that looked right. Uh, UTSA really kind of dominated the, the first half, uh, then let Texas State hang around, get back in it. Uh, looked like they, you know, had a pick six to go up by two scores late in the fourth quarter. Looked like the the game was over. And uh, Texas State then, you know, gets themselves back in force overtime. Could have could have won the game if they had converted a, a extra point, but a long punt return for a touchdown. Just a wild game, you know. Texas State had had opportunities to to come back and win this. UTSA looked great early, but you know, tried to give it away uh, toward the end. Was pretty impressed with what I saw from Frank Harris. We didn't know if he was going to get the start. They had four guys. Uh, listed as co-starters at quarterback UTSA did. Sincere McCormack, the running back, looked look quite good. Uh, both these teams have some work to do defensively. But uh, Texas State, you know, another close loss. Uh, it seems that they are getting uh, some respect. They're a favorite again this week. Uh, our numbers still don't really respect them, but I think they have certainly gotten better. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, you know, the guys missing Brady McBride being one of those, the, the quarterback that we talked about last week, sounded like he was expected to start until, you know, 12 hours, 24 hours prior to the to game. And, and then Tyler Vitt, who was out the previous week for uh, what sounds like similar reasons, got the start. So, you know, uh, kind of just wild all around, but certainly an entertaining game and, and uh, a good opportunity for these two schools. They, it was on ESPN2, you know, kind of with uh, one of the, 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 you know, lighter windows as far as other games going on. So a lot of people got to see this game. Uh, so good, good for those programs. But nice win for UTSA, a bright spot uh, for our numbers as, as the only game that we thought the wrong team was favored last week uh, in what was otherwise not the best week we have ever had. So. Xavier, <laughs> uh, your thoughts on uh, this really exciting double overtime game? Yeah, I loved it. This was fun to watch. I mean, this was also head scratching to watch at times, but this was just really a blast. Um, you know, I didn't expect them to go uh, for almost 100 points combined. Uh, and I was 
beating my head into the ground when for some reason UTSA thought it was a bright idea to run a reverse on third and eight. But I, you know, up by, yeah, yeah. with a minute to go on the clock, you're like, I'm going to run a reverse. But, um, and then obviously, once again, lack of special teams coverage. The kid is able to run a kick back to almost win the ball game. And then we get another special teams error when he misses the extra point. I was like, this weekend in special teams. Woo! Um, <laughs> but it was, a, it was a blast of a game to watch. Um, like you said, Nick, for it to be on national television, was great for both programs. Um, you know, Texas State should deserves to be to, to get the love that they're getting right now because not only have they had one quarterback come in and be and, and play well against SMU, they had another quarterback come in and almost beat UTSA on short notice. And so you can trust either one at this point, whether it's Vic or McBride, to play you know to play up to snuff against either top you know top tier talent talent that we think could win their conference. Or, you know, top-tier talent in UTSA. I really like the, the, the dynamic that they have with both quarterbacks being able to play. And it's kind of like they've been able to figure it out with COVID going on. They're like, well, we have either one. And we'll quarantine one and play the other. We'll do it all season if we need to. So I, I really like that. Nick, you're absolutely right. The defenses have got to go back to the drawing boards after this week. They were just giving up everything. Whether on the ground, through the air, it didn't really matter. Um, whatever you wanted, you got it. It was like a buffet. But for me... I, I really loved it. Like I said, you get a double OT game between two rivals early on in the year. That's why we love college football for the wackiness, the weirdness. And this this game embodied it 110%. Well, one thing's for sure. Texas State is the best 0-2 team in college oh, absolutely. football. absolutely. <laughs> they can Definitely hang their hat on the that. 0-2 yeah. team, yes, for sure. So They're, they're um, the only FBS. Yeah, yeah, we got it. So <laughs> did you get it? Dad, did you get the yeah, joke? Thanks, Dad. Dad, we, I got it. We, we got it, Dad. We got it. Um, <laughs> what was your biggest takeaway? You know, I mean, look, the Big Twelve looked terrible, so that was kind of my biggest takeaway, Nick. But what was your biggest takeaway from Week Two? Uh, for me, I mean, you know, the, I'm always looking at our numbers, how they react, and and that's sort of the the first thing in my mind. So so certainly was pleased about the UTSA win. I, I'm going to have to dive into uh, more of our stat-based uh, point spread projections because those numbers actually called for uh, Louisiana to win outright. I think we mentioned that last week in Coastal Carolina uh, as a double-digit favorite over yeah. Kansas, which disagreed both on both terms with our, our official projection. So going to have to uh, do a little more research. Uh, you know, I, I fear people are, you know, maybe putting too much uh, into just uh, one week or, or, you know, one game here or there. I'm, I'm trying to avoid that, but trying to find silver linings. Those were things that were interesting to me on the field. Uh, I, I think the, you know, the, the biggest takeaway kind of on a similar uh, way is, is, you know, team, teams will look good in certain spots. Teams will look bad in, in certain spots. And Xavier certainly mentioned uh, a great point that special teams, I mean, if, if you have a, a you, uh, 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 if you can cover kicks right now, you're, you're, you're ahead of the game. Advantage. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> That's good. I mean, it's it's difficult to to rep special teams live in practice in in yeah. a normal year, and and right now I'm sure it's it's incredibly difficult. So you know that that is definitely something to watch. All the weird things we've seen on special teams, and and whoever can get that sort of buttoned up uh, quickly is is going to have a bit of an advantage, which is a little bit weird because special teams is is one of those things that's really difficult to handicap. It's kind of like a bullpen in baseball. It can be 
you know, you can have one unit that's excellent one year, seems like, you know, nothing's really changed personnel wise one year to the next, and it could be a completely different situation. So, you know, in, in, in my business, that's not necessarily what you want, but uh, something to watch for sure. Who's going to be able to, to uh, you know, get things buttoned up a little bit on special teams and, and then just also just trying not to overreact because we've had 19 FBS versus FBS games through two weeks. We should have had well over 100 by now. Yeah, right. Uh, so, you know, just trying to trying to keep things in perspective, not overreact too much. Those are kind of the things that are top of my mind right now. Xavier, what stuck out to you the most from week two? The Sunbelt. Gotta be. I mean, yeah. I mean, outside of ULM losing to Army, they went in and handled business against really t- good competition. Kansas State falls. Carol, so Carolina goes into Kansas and beat Kansas, and they did it all on the road too, which is right. something that I-, I think we lose in this as well. The Sun Belt came to play, and I think that in this year, in this weird year, we have teams like Louisiana ranked 19th right now because you know of, of what they were able to do uh, over the weekend, and I think that. You know, we're going to see more of a competitive brand of college football this year throughout college football. I don't think it's just going to be in conference. But I, don't, I think when we cross conferences as well, like we saw on Saturday, you can't sleep on any team as of right now, especially those middle tier teams against some of the uh, middle tier, or upper tier of, of some of your G5 conference teams. So I that's my biggest takeaway from the weekend. Either the either it was really that the Big 12 is really, really bad or the Sun Belt is better than we originally thought. Scott, I would love to know your opinion on that, um, being a Big 12 guy. so uh, But that's got to be my biggest takeaway. Yeah, I mean, look, I think some of those Big 12 teams are probably not a- as good, but I-, I think it's, you know, a little halfway through, you know, and, and I know that's a medium fence stander answer and, and all that stuff, but I-, I think, you know, COVID being the great equalizer that, that it is and, you know, uh, making these schedules weird and all that stuff. But hey, you know, you just mentioned it. The Sun Belt teams not only adapted and adjusted to it, but also went on the road and beat these teams. So uh, maybe they, maybe they didn't ramp up practice because uh, some of these teams thought, ah, we're playing the Sun Belt. We're probably going to roll them anyway. So we don't need to, we don't need to go too hard at practice or, uh, you know, whatever it was. You know, maybe it could have been a, a player's mentality. Uh, mindset as well. So uh, I'll be curious to see some of that play out in bowl games and stuff and see if, uh, if it works out better for, uh, you know, P5 teams there. But, I, you know, I, I think we're just moving more towards a time where uh, teams are a little bit equal. And, um, you know, these um, some of the, the Sunbelt and, and uh, the group of five teams and all that are just doing a better job of uh, picking up players that fit for them. So uh, I think that uh, that's got to be part of it as well. So a little column A, a little column B, but I'm going to say more uh, that the Sun Belt is just better than what we thought. Uh, and we, than, we'll, go ahead. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. We didn't even really talk about Arkansas State, who oh yeah uh, looked good. Yeah. How about Jonathan Adams? He, he made some money oh, uh, this it, weekend it, for it, sure. It, so good, uh, yeah. you know. There, that's that's a guy who. Uh, was not a JUCO guy, just, you know, had his, his dad went to Arkansas State and, and ended up following, but there are certainly some good players. I mean, we, we've seen uh, the transfer portal help kind of even things out a little bit. Of course, G5 uh, programs 
rely on junior college players and things like that a little bit more, which which helps limit that or you know reduce the talent gap a little compared to uh, what we see as far as you know ratings coming out of high school and, and things like that. But there's some good players uh, in the Sun Belt for sure. Uh, Louisiana, of course, has a few, but Arkansas State as well. Big win for them. Uh, hopefully, you know, there there are some concerns that maybe Arkansas State, uh, you know, now has had a bit of a flare up and, and hopefully that didn't make its way over to Kansas State, but uh, something to keep an eye on. But on the field, you know, they, they uh, found a way to get it done. Huge win for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, let's let's go ahead and move forward to week three and take a dive on some of these games. And the first one we're going to start with here, Nick, uh, a pretty good one. Uh, Boston College at Duke or Duke at Boston College. Excuse me. This will be our first look at Boston College. And they have uh, Drinkovich and, and Grossel listed as co-starters at quarterback for them. Uh, this is Duke as a favorite. And I think, you know, playing well. And, you know, still lost by two scores to Notre Dame, but Notre Dame top 10 ranked team and all that stuff. But playing and holding their own against them kind of helped this line. They are five and a half point favorites on the road against Boston College. What do you think of that game? Uh, yeah, this this one, uh, pretty pretty exciting. I, I believe it's actually at Duke. It's in, oh, it's in at Europe. Duke. Okay, yeah. my bad. Uh, but but I'm, I'm really interested to see Boston College. I want to see what they look like under Jeff Halfley. Uh, I want to see how the the coaching staff, uh, you know, kind of kind of works out at Boston College. A lot of NFL guys, uh, both both coordinators are, are former NFL guys. Halfley spent most of his career to date, at least the last decade, in the NFL. Other than last year at Ohio State, where he orchestrated a huge one year turnaround on defense. So you know, is he going to? You know, he, he seems like a guy that's got this program, uh, not that they were, you know, uh, down in, in uh, you know, the, the, the dregs of the ACC. They've been competitive year in and year out the last, you know, seven or eight years under Steve Adazio. But the program had got a little bit stale. It sounds like Athletes brought in some excitement. They brought in a lot of transfer guys. Uh, Jerkovic, one of those. I mean, the, the high-profile Notre Dame transfer. I would be absolutely shocked if he's not the starter. I know Grozel is listed as a co-starter and, and started six games for them last year, but uh, I, I would be shocked if Fulcherkovic's not the quarterback at Boston College for all of this year and, and the next couple as well. And, and you know, want to see Jalen Gill, former, uh, you know, basically fringe five-star uh, wide receiver recruit to Ohio State. Uh, they brought in a, a couple of transfers on the defensive line who are going to start, one from Buffalo who is an all conference player, one from Cal, who uh, once the Pac-12 uh, decided to shut football down for the fall, jumped over and has already won himself a, a starting job. So this is going to be a, a different looking Boston College team personality wise. It's going to be a different looking Boston College team from some of these really highly rated uh, players that just things didn't work out at their previous school. Uh, and, and then they've got some good players coming back in, in a different system. You know, what's Kobe White going to look like? What's Zay Flowers going to look like? Could this be a solid wide receiver group? According to our numbers, it's a top 30 uh, receiver group nationally. They've got a top 30 offensive line group. A couple of guys who were all ACC last year, veteran guys. You know, I, I think offensively, Boston College, even losing A.J. Dillon, you know, David Bailey's in there. He looked really good last year, looked like a 
uh, Dylan clone at times. So I think offensively, Boston College is going to be uh, really pretty good. I, I think, you know, based on what we saw last year under Halfley at Ohio State, the, the defense is going to be coached up really well. Max Richardson, one of the best linebackers in the ACC. So I'm excited about Boston College. I, I, I worry because I, I feel like I might be getting a little too excited. One, just my, my personal thoughts. And, and two, our numbers, you know, this is one of, uh, I, I say, unfortunately, unfortunately, we've got, uh, what, three... Uh, three games where the wrong team we think is favored. Four, I think, actually. Uh, and then uh, a handful, even even more than that, where all three of our power ratings line up. This being one of them, Boston College being one of them. And, and we almost think that uh, Boston College should be favored. We have Duke as, as uh, about a quarter of a point uh, favorite here. So, um, you know, this, this – I'm excited to see Boston College. I think that they are uh, – just as talented, if not more, we give them a two-point edge in our talent edge uh, projections and, and uh, the way the, the stats work out. Uh, we expect Boston College to, to you know, really uh, be a, a dangerous team here. Like I said, all, all three of our projections agree. Uh, it's close, but, you know, our final score prediction is Duke 28, Boston College 27. You know, that, that sounds about right to me. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't be shocked if Duke wins, but I think Boston College, you know, probably shouldn't be a six-point underdog or five-point underdog, whatever uh, it, it's gotten to now. So uh, this is one of the, the more interesting games to me to watch this week. Uh, uh, and Xavier, your thoughts on this game? This one seems, you know, like I feel like if I hadn't heard Nick say that, I probably would have just taken Duke because I think they held their own against Notre Dame last week. And I like Noah Gray and I like, you know, I think Cutcliffe is, uh, is a great coach. So your your thoughts, on, your thoughts on this game here. Yeah, and, and I think that I am going to drink the Duke Kool-Aid here. And I think that that is not just because they held their own against a top 10 ranked Notre Dame team, but I also think that there's something to be said about the rust that we saw in week one how many teams are going to be walking right into that same rust? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm ready to see Chase Bryce take that next step. I think that this might be Chase Bryce coming out party. I think that he played against a very, very good team last, uh, very good defense at times last week against Notre Dame. Obviously, he was forced to throw the ball a bunch because they could not get the run game going. This is going to be a little bit different this week for him. Um, you know, and, and I think that, you know, He's going to have a lot more opportunities, a lot better windows to throw in. And I'm expecting to see a better performance from Chase Bryce in the passing game than I did last week. Um, and like I said, I think Boston College is going to come in with a lot of rust. This is their first game of the year. We saw it last week. A lot of teams looked were busting coverages, blowing assignments, a lot of things that you can only fix when you have live practices for months on in and then obviously live game. Duke has live game to look back on, to fix things. And more than anything, they've hit somebody else. You know, we saw it against uh, with BYU versus Navy a couple of weeks ago. Tackling was a, has been a problem and is going to consistently be a problem until you finally play somebody else. It's, it's different to tackle your teammates versus having to tackle an opponent. It just it just is. But, you know, players will tell you that. And I think that that's what we're going to see. That's why I have Duke winning by six plus, because I think that Boston College is just going to start too sluggish to keep up with Duke at the end of the day. I'm looking for Chris Rump to have a better game than he did against Notre Dame. I think they really schemed well against Chris Rump and kept him away from the quarterback. I think he's going to have much more opportunities to get to the QB this week. 
And I'm looking forward, like I said, to Chase Bryce being better in the passing game than I saw last week. Also, I'm a little concerned about BC's quarterback situation. Obviously, them running a two-quarterback system uh, always worries me because I don't think two quarterbacks are better than one solidified one. Um, and so that's that, that's my uh, um, idea on it. I'm really ex- excited, though, I will say, about Max Richardson. This is a guy that I almost put on my All-American team when we did that video uh, based off of the triple-digit tackles that he had last year in his production while being at Boston College. Um, so I'm really looking forward to see him be the leader of that defense. Uh, so, Nick, I don't blame you for drinking the BC Kool-Aid. I don't. You know, they, they've got pieces there that make you excited about the team. Um, I just think Duke having that game under their belt is going to mean more than I think we realize. And this is why we pick these games. They're they're, they're definitely fun to pick. They're close ones. So, uh, I, I yeah. This is good arguments, guys. You 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 flip flop <laughs> me here a couple times. I think I think the biggest too thing. Impressionable. Yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm probably too impressionable. You're absolutely right about that. So I think I'm going to stick. I'm going to go back and stick with Duke. And I think the the main thing is is what Xavier (laughs) said about the rust. And Duke has knocked it off. They played their game against Notre Dame. The rust is off. They know the process. They know how it's going to go down. They they know what's going to happen. Boston College still waiting for that a little bit. So I think maybe if Duke can catch them uh, in the first or second quarter, get out to a lead, it's going to be harder for Boston College to climb out of that. So I'll I'll stick with Duke. That's That's a really good point. Uh, from both of you guys. And, and there is some evidence that we've seen early. I've seen some numbers. I don't have them right in front of me right now, but but there are numbers that, that suggest that uh, teams that, you know, played a game in week one uh, have, have performed better overall and against the spread than team, you know, were able to knock that rust off, play a game against a team that, that was off uh, that first weekend. There, there's some evidence that shows that. And also there's some evidence that shows that uh, teams that had more uh, spring practice opportunities have performed better uh, against the spread as well. And now we're talking tiny, tiny sample sizes. So I'm, I'm again, concerned that, you know, I'm trying not to, to overreact, but at least in the, the, you know, the handful of situations that we've seen so far, there's some evidence that that shows that maybe that will be as big of a, a factor as as a lot of us thought as we were leading up to the season. So it, it's certainly something to consider. And when I first saw this next line, it's App State hosting Marshall and App State four point favorites. Fifty nine and a half is the over on that one. My initial thought is. I don't know that this game is going to go over. I think both these defenses are pretty decent. And how is App State only favored by four? But team strength rating has these teams way more even uh, than I thought, Nick. So uh, your initial impressions on App State versus Marshall. Yeah, this this one is an interesting one. And, and we touched on the UTSA Texas State getting you know that ESPN2 uh, slot. This game is going to be on CBS like not oh, wow. not CBS Sports Network. Actual, yes. like this is the SEC game uh, this week. So this, <laughs> this, this is twenty twenty. <laughs> for, for some reason, the game this that always jumps in my mind when I think of this game. This is the one that if you were walking through like a retirement home and it's just on in the background, <laughs> this is that game. So it's yeah, you know, no, it's, it's it, people are going to get to see this who weren't even expecting. You know, anyway, I don't, that's a real random thing I know, but anyway. Uh, and our, our numbers see this strangely. And, and, and I've, I've tried to wrap my 
head around how to explain it because I know it's confusing when I say our, our official numbers say this, but one of our other numbers say this. This is one of those situations because uh, talent edge wise, when we, when we strip out home field advantage, when we strip out uh, coaching and all of that, Marshall would be the favorite team. If, if we're just looking, you know, player by player, uh, looking at our roster strength ratings and, and looking at, you know, average 247 sports rating of, of the offensive starters, defensive starters, team as a whole. When we, when we throw all that into the mix, Marshall's got the quote unquote more talented team, but Appalachian state is one of those teams that sort of our, our, you know, power rating system is built for because we try to incorporate coach ratings. We try to incorporate things like development and things like that. Appalachian state has been, you know, from a team performance standpoint, uh, you know, a top 25, top 30 type team on the field, the last three to five years. And that's certainly worth something. It, It is a little bit, you know, teams that have first year head coaches, first time head coaches, that's a little bit of a concern. Can you carry that over? think at Appalachian State, maybe they can because there's continuity. You know, Sean Clark was promoted from within. But, you know, also, like I was – you guys brought up the, the teams that have more rest have, or, or were able to knock off the rust with, with a game. There's also some early indications that those first-year head coaches aren't off to a great start mm-hmm. in our current climate. So, uh, you know, Appalachian State, I thought last week – played better than the final score would indicate. I think they, they you know, had a couple of uh, mistakes gone the other way, uh, could have, you know, blown out Charlotte, but weather was an issue, some, some uh, sloppiness was an issue. Our numbers think Appalachian State should be favored, should, should cover. Uh, our, our official number is nine. Uh, and part of that is because when we, we incorporate the stats, we think Appalachian State should be a double-digit favorite. But then you look at the talent and you think, okay, Marshall. Uh, so it's, it's you know, it's, it, I, I'm torn on this one. And, and so we see it, you know, uh, going the way of Appalachian State. Uh, I, I think that small sample size being what it is, we saw Grant Wells, the Marshall quarterback, just look absolutely amazing. Uh, in the first game of the season against Eastern Kentucky. Again, let's try not to, to overreact, but he did look amazing. Uh, so I, I think there's a chance that people might read into that a little too much, and maybe Marshall you know, is, is uh, within uh, four, uh, according to the odds makers, according to the market. Maybe, maybe they're a little overpriced, and, and App State probably should be closer to a touchdown favorite. I'm hoping that's the case because that's where our numbers see. Uh, we think Appalachian State will win 33-24, to 24, a little higher scoring probably than you expected, Scott. But, uh, you know, we, we think Appalachian State's a clear favorite here. Yeah. They're almost a top 40 team in our numbers, which is pretty hard to do as a group of five team. Uh, and, and Marshall's 82nd. So we're not quite fully on board with Grant Wells yet. Uh, but you know, this, this should be a fun game and, and a lot of people are, are going to get to see it. So that's exciting. Yeah. Javier, your, your thoughts on this one. This one looks like a really fun game to watch. Yeah. I think this could, I think this could absolutely be a barnstormer. I think we could get another high scoring affair. Uh, I, I love that Grant Wells is coming in with confidence when you, when you're a quarterback, that's not necessarily highly rated. Confidence is very key for how you play. And, and Nick said it hit right on the head. He played really well. And I know it was against Eastern Kentucky, but momentum means a lot. 
at any position, but more importantly, the quarterback position. Uh, that's why I am looking forward to watching Zach Thomas in this game because he did not play well against Charlotte. You know, he, you know, 14 for 21, 204, a touchdown and an interception. That's not a great day at the office for Zach Thomas and what and how he's played in his career at Appalachian State. So I'm expecting to see him play better uh, this week coming up. And I, I expect him to also, you know, like I said, to, to play better. And I think this game is going to come down to two positions. I think it's going to come down to quarterback and uh, the defensive backs. And I think in both cases, Appalachian State is better than them talent-wise. Like I said, Zach Thomas had a bad game last week. I think he bounces back from that. And the DBs last week for Appalachian State played really well. You know, they picked off the Chris Reynolds twice last week. They held him to under under 50% uh, from the field and completion percentage. I think that that's what App State's going to lean on again is for their DBs to play well. Uh, Grant Wells is going to be throwing in the much tighter coverage than what he was doing last week against Eastern Kentucky. And I think that's where we're going to see the gap be. I, I love App State in this game, the win and the cover. I think they can win by 10 plus. I'm thinking more of around the range of 14. If I were to give a score, I think it's more in the range of possibility of App State winning something like I don't know. Jesus, I just put myself in the spot. <laughs> Math is difficult. Like 33 to 20, something around that range. I was I think, thinking like 31, 17, something like that. Yeah, like I, I think that we're going to see a better performance from their offense it, through the through the air. And I think Grant Wells is going to come back down to earth a little bit. And this is going to be uh, that game that does it for him. Uh, the next game here is an interesting one. We haven't seen either one of these teams play yet, right, Nick? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Houston and Baylor. Uh, this one's in Houston. Baylor is a four and a half point favorite. Sixty two is the over on that one. So, or is this in? Is this in Baylor? Uh, oh, how are we doing this? Is the top <laughs> team first, or are second? you are you reading it like a soccer? Uh... Well, I always think the first, the <laughs> second team is at home. Yeah. But okay, then I thought this one, this first one you said was in. Was this at I Duke or you at did mess up home? on the first one. You're right. Yeah, you did. Yeah, okay. we, caught we caught him. We caught him. Yeah. Okay, we got this him. This is great yeah. radio. Our, our, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Our sure. sheet is, I made a mistake. Yeah. Everyone sheet. was wondering Sorry, how our sheet works exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but okay, so uh, Houston at Baylor for this one. And this is weird because this was supposed to be, uh, you know, Houston was going to play Memphis uh, th- this week, but obviously they had uh, some COVID protocol stuff and, and uh, you know, they shut down for a little bit. So, uh, this is a game we get. We haven't seen either one of these teams yet. Nick, what do you think about this one? This this is an interesting matchup. I mean, this time last week. And it, by the way, in schedule. all that, I don't think I even said the over. It's it's Baylor favored by four and a half. The over sixty two. Just making sure I said that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, it's 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 a it's a fun matchup. I mean, I, I these teams used to be in the Southwest Conference. Uh, Xavier, that was a thing in the. I know it was. <laughs> and, and, but they haven't played since they were conference rivals, I believe. So uh, it, it's uh, it's a, a fun matchup. Uh, I'm I'm excited for it. I want to see what Baylor looks like. You know, a new look coaching staff, a lot of turnover, especially on defense. Houston went through all that last year. Uh, Danner Holgerson now in his second year. Uh, we've seen in, in you know, steps, uh, stops in, in the past, you know, his second year at a school, whether it's at a head coach or, or a play caller, his teams have taken a pretty big step forward. Is he going to be able to do that again here at Houston? You expect there's going to be a little more continuity, uh, you know, guys not opting out midseason, hopefully, like we saw uh, last year with uh, Derek King and, and a couple of others there at, at Houston. Uh, 
Uh, Clayton Toon, I, I think we talked about before, the, the quarterback there uh, was better when I watched him a little closer during the offseason than I expected. Uh, having seen bits and pieces, uh, you know, during last year, wasn't watching a whole lot of Houston. They uh, ended up, you know, having a losing record, not going to a ball game, those sort of things. So didn't, you know, weren't on my, uh, weren't on my, uh, screen too much, but I, I think they will take a step forward. I think talent-wise, you know, this Houston team has been one of the major transfer portal uh, programs, especially on the defensive side of the ball. A lot of defensive backs, you know, they were raving about their pre, you know, their uh, their scout team last year in the secondary. So I, I think Houston certainly has the talent to compete. I think, you know, Baylor from a depth standpoint, little, little concerned. I, I do have high hopes offensively. Charlie Brewer, I think, is one of the better uh, quarterbacks in the Big 12. We've talked before from a, a CFS standpoint, he's ranks really, really high in our projected points per game. Uh, ratings much, much higher than I, you know, would have expected without running the numbers. So I, I think this will be an exciting game. A lot of offense. Mark West Stevenson's one of my favorite uh, players with, uh, you know, the, the uh, wide receiver at Houston. So a lot of, lot of interesting players, fun matchup. These teams have had five days to prepare, basically. Uh, didn't know they were going to play each other until uh, Saturday last week. So it should, should be a pretty exciting one. We do think that Baylor, uh, our numbers, you know, the, the projected point spread, think they're going to be able to cover, should be a little closer to a touchdown favorite. The talent edge and the uh, stats, you know, projected scoring margin much closer. We only get Baylor a two-point edge on both of those. But final score prediction, 34-29 Baylor. Sounds about right. Relatively uh, high-scoring game, probably back and forth. And and then you would think that, you know, the team with a a slightly more talented roster uh, should be Baylor and, and should come out ahead. Xavier, uh, your thoughts on this game? I think that that five days of only knowing that that this game is going to happen, that usually lends us towards an over. Uh, so I like the over in this one, but who do you like in the game? I, I love the over. I think this is going to be our Texas State UTSA game of the week. Uh, I, I think that this game is going to go into the 40s. I think that this is going to be a high-scoring affair, a uh, little defense to be played on Saturday. Uh, but I like Baylor. Uh, this is a team that I think – Amid all the the hate I've given Baylor in the offseason about literally losing everybody on defense, I believe they only brought back two starters. Uh, I think that they have the talent to get the job done in this ball game. Um, as I was reading our uh, our scouting report, air quote, air quote, here on on the list, I was like, Houston's winning a lot of these personal matchups, but Baylor's the ulti- has has the edge here in talent. I, I was a little, I was like, how? Uh, but at the end of the day, I do think. Baylor is the more talented team. I think Baylor is the more is the better team as well. And I think, like I said, it's going to come down to keeping Charlie Brewer upright. This is something that they couldn't do last season. Uh, you know, he had what three concussions last season. Yeah. He got you know, and that he missed significant time because of it. And honestly, Baylor probably would have been a better team if he could have you know, would have probably been in the Big Twelve championship game if they could have kept him upright uh, for the better part of the season. And that's really where I'm looking for Baylor to be better than they were last year. Um, and if they can do that, then I think that they have a really good chance of blowing out Houston. Uh, but if not, and I don't think that they will be able to consistently because I I'm, I'm, I don't just don't trust that offensive line yet. I can I feel about them the same way. <laughs> I kind of feel the same way about them that I feel about Miami. 
show me your offensive line keeping your quarterback upright when you're allowed to do so, uh, then I'll change my narrative. Until then, Charlie Brewer's head is forever in the ground. Uh, yeah. I mean, so, yeah. You got to give him more than one Mississippi, right? So yeah, uh, you got to give him a little bit more. Uh, UCF at Georgia Tech, Nick. And this, this one, uh, the line is UCF by seven and a half. 60 is the over here. Are we going to let are we going to let the Georgia Tech uh, hype train roll on in this game? I, I feel like, you know, look, UCF has a lot of continuity. You know, they, they, they've they been very, pretty consistent the last few years. So I don't think I can let the Georgia Tech hype train uh, get in on this game. So I think I'm going to be easy UCF, and I'll probably take the over on this one too. What do you think about that one? Yeah, our, I mentioned it briefly. Our, our numbers still don't respect Georgia Tech, and we talked in the offseason that they absolutely love UCF. You know, when we were making playoff projections, probably have to go back and revisit those if Ohio State's going to be in the mix. But, uh, you know, I said I thought UCF could get there. I thought they had the team to, to run the table. Uh, it definitely expected them to win this. This, as far as an official projected point spread with our numbers, uh, is the biggest edge that we have in a game uh, this week. I mean, you know, UCF's a seven and a half point favorite. We project them to win by 22. So that's that's both our official number and our stats-based model comes up with 22. The talent edge a lot closer, which you might expect, because this is a P5-G5 matchup. Georgia Tech has recruited decently well, especially in, uh, you know, the, the last year under under Jeff Collins. So we only think... UCF has about a two-point edge as far as our talent edges go. But, yeah, our numbers love UCF, really like Dylan Gabriel. Like, uh, you know, they've, they've got some holes to fill, but like the playmakers that they've got on offense. Otis Anderson, really fun uh, running back that can catch the ball as well uh, to watch. So, uh, really, really, you know, I, 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 I'm with you, Scott. I, I uh, am a little concerned that maybe our numbers, you know, are going to be slow to recognize how well – Georgia Tech, uh, you know, improves this year, but we're really, really high on UCF. And, and so it's hard for me to ignore that and our biggest, you know, edge from a, a point projection uh, for the week. So we're, we're high on UCF. I think 41 17 uh, for the final score. Uh, these two, you know, UCF plays pretty, pretty good defense as well. So I, I understand the thought that it could be high scoring, but, but I actually think. Uh, you know, that might even be a little high. I, I think this could be, uh, uh, you know, hit the under, but UCF still win by a couple of touchdowns at least. And your thoughts on this one, Xavier, not not going to jump on the Georgia Tech hype train quite yet? Rambling wreck is going to get into a wreck. It, it's going to be a bad <laughs> game. Um, I'm not hopping on the hype train. For me, Georgia Tech this year was going to be a project watch anyways. I just wanted to see them improve on last season. Um, and so I'm going to be looking for the pockets of positivity in this game because there might not be that many. Uh, UCF is by far the better team. Yes, it's their first game of the year, and I know I alluded to that earlier. However, Nick hit it right on the head. This is a team that's senior-laden for the most part, pretty old, been playing together for a while now, and I think you're going to see that on Saturday. Um, my big, What I want to see more importantly is what Dylan Gabriel does. Uh, this is I believe this is his second year as the primary starter. I'm really looking forward to what he does in his second season. And, and, and more importantly, because Georgia Tech has the better defensive back unit, I want to see what he does against what is a comparative uh, defensive back core for him. So I, I think 
UCF should win this game pretty handedly by two or three touchdowns. From a Georgia Tech perspective, this is just watching Jeff Sims against top-tier talent to see what he can do in back-to-back weeks. This is probably the best back-to-back week talent he'll play all year. So this is a good. This is going to be our best barometer for what Jeff Sims is going to be probably until about week seven or eight. Uh, but UCF big, 41-17, seems reasonable. Yeah, yeah, that that seems about right. You know, may, maybe they throw another touchdown on Georgia Tech does or something, and uh, you know that would hit the over. So, but I think you know you having it uh, that close, Nick. I probably just wouldn't play the over mm-hmm, on it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd probably leave it alone. But I'd definitely take UCF. Uh, this last game that we're going to dive into here is the best game of the week, and I'm excited to watch it. Uh, it is Louisville at home, a two and a half point favorite over Miami. The over 64 and a half. So hopefully these teams have both played a game, uh, got their legs underneath them a little bit. We're not worried about rust for anyone here. So uh, what do you think about this game, Nick? This is going to be an exciting one. Yeah, there, there are three games that, that meet the criteria for us where we think the wrong team is favored and where all three of our uh, projections line up. And this is one of them. We think Miami should be, at least our numbers do, uh, the favorite. I uh, think they should win this game outright. I believe they actually opened as the favorite, but but it, it shifted relatively quickly over to Louisville. The, the uh, site that I use uh, for that information didn't have a lot of the openers listed, so I'll have to, to find those somewhere else. But I believe that to be the case. But, uh, you know, we're, we're you know on that with, with ULM. Uh, we think should be favored over Texas State, despite – them being the best 0-2 team in the country. Uh, Louisiana Tech, we think, it should be favored to, to win over Southern Miss despite being a five-point underdog. Uh, and then Miami, you know, two and a half, think, think that they should win this game outright. They've got an edge in, in all three of our uh, projections. Officially, we think they're, a, you know, should be a four-point favorite. Talent edge-wise uh, is a 10-point difference. And, and we always, you know, always the caveat when we talk about Miami that, yeah, they're always so talented, perhaps overrated. Miami, Florida State, USC, Texas, maybe, uh, you know, over and over uh, gets gets mentioned. I yeah, we put other other people out there throw yes. Texas in. I never would. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but it's it's, uh, you know, that, yeah, that makes me a little. No, I see. I see. <laughs> that makes me a little bit nervous you know any any time our our numbers line up that's supposed to say like yes all right we've got a we've got an edge we've got this one it has the opposite effect it makes me very anxious but uh our numbers line up here i think the wrong team's favored i think miami should should be favored all three projection uh models agree think the eric king is uh the better quarterback mikhail cunningham very impressed with him last last week last year as well louisville has some playmakers, Javion Hawkins, Tutu Atwell, some of the most exciting players in the ACC on the offensive side of the ball. It looked like maybe they were taking a step forward defensively last week. They played, you know, they, they covered against Western Kentucky, probably should have blown them out. Western Kentucky had three touchdowns that averaged, I believe it was 14 yards per drive. They had a one-yard drive and a four-yard drive. So, uh, you know, a better game for Louisville than the final score would indicate. But even considering that, think Miami uh, probably should win this game. Uh, wouldn't wouldn't be shocked if Louisville does because they have top 25 tight talent. Uh, but, uh, you yeah, know, the way our numbers line up, and, and I think I agree, 
Uh, I think Miami, the better defense uh, for sure, uh, and probably the better quarterback if the offensive line can take a, a little bit more of a step forward and the running game stays uh, as potent as it looked at times against UAB. I think Miami should win this one. Uh, our final score is uh, 31-27. Uh, Hurricanes get it done. And your thoughts on this one, Xavier, I'm curious because both these teams, I mean, Louisville looked good, you know, and Miami looked okay, but I'm with Nick. I still think Miami is the better team. So uh, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I got Louisville. I'm sorry. Ah. I, I, I can't, I cannot side with a team that cannot protect their quarterback. It's one thing for Derek King to be the dynamic athlete that he is at the quarterback position. It's another thing and to do that against UAB. It's another situation to do that against a Louisville team that's much more talented, much better defensively than UAB is up front. And I think that it's going to be a really tough game for him. I think this is the game we learned the most about Miami. I don't think we're necessarily going to learn that much about Louisville. I think Louisville is who they are. They're an athletic team that's going to rely on their superstars to get the job done. They're going to try to make every game into a shootout. And I think that that's what we're going to see on Saturday. I think they're going to try to outscore Miami. And they're just going to hope that De'Aaron King and that offensive line does not hold up well against their against their defensive front. And I genuinely don't see where Miami showed me against UAB that they were this cream of the crop talent. We got to remember, against UAB, they didn't look great at times. UAB was in that ball game for I think a quarter and a half, almost the entire first half. It wasn't until De'Ari King and the running game really got going and the defense woke up in the second half that they really broadened the margin. Um, Louisville is just too dynamic for me to say no to that. Miami has yet to see the, the you know that dynamicism on the outside, and I just think that that's going to be the biggest issue here. Um, I want to see De'Ari King. This is a big game for him and what you know will obviously be probably, you know, He's probably a Heisman favorite at this point due to all the things that are going on and the lack of quarterback play that we have elsewhere. So I, this is going to be something that I need to see from him as far as can you be can you lead Miami to the heights that they think you can? Um, but I got Louisville. I'm sorry. That offensive line scares me way too much. You know, UAB got pressure on De'Aaron King a lot last week, and I think that's only going to get worse as the talent gets better. And I think Louisville is going to be able to be able uh, to be able to get pressure on, on De'Aaron King and make him feel uncomfortable uh, for the first time being at Miami. Um, and so, yeah, I got, I got Louisville here and I guess it's an upset since I'm going to be the contrarian here. Uh, <laughs> the Cardinals. Yeah. It's going to be a fun game to watch. And that's the late game. I think too the, the nationally televised. So uh, it's going to be a good one. We're kind of up against the time wise, Nick, but do you want to just quickly burn through, uh, all three agrees and uh, wrong team favorites. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mentioned the big ones: Louisiana Tech, ULM. Both of those are, are you know five and five and a half point favorites. All our numbers line up on on the side of of uh, those two. We also our numbers. I mean, yeah, we saw Navy lost fifty five to three, but we have Navy uh, actually favored by a little bit more than a point over Tulane. So take that for what it's worth. We watched them too. They looked horrible. Yeah. Hopefully but, they yeah. had some padded practices. Hopefully, uh, you know, and they also have a, a QB competition. Uh, apparently uh, there's a plebe uh, that's number two on the depth chart challenging uh, for, for that job. Uh, the, the uh, you know, Perry Olson came in in relief of, of uh, Morris last week and, and then has since entered the transfer portal. So a lot of, a lot of things going on, but uh, you know, our numbers see some value on Navy, so not sure if they can pull it out uh, upright, you know, upset outright. But uh, you know, based on a, a lot of the the numbers that that we put into the mix, still see Navy as as the better team. So uh, 
some other ones that line up for us. I, I don't necessarily believe it, but we're on Syracuse plus 21 and a half. They're going to have to improve a lot to get there. Uh, Liberty plus 14 against Western Kentucky. That seems about right. All three line up there. We think Western Kentucky should be about uh, a seven to 10 point favorite, not 14. Uh, Charlotte. Yeah. We, you know, we talked about Chris Reynolds. He didn't look great last week. Uh, he was injured. Uh, but we think that, you know, our numbers, the way they line up, think the 49ers can, can keep it within 30 against North Carolina. And, and then the last one of the night, it, it's again, you know, the early evidence doesn't necessarily line up, but uh, NC State, who has not played yet, playing Wake Forest, who did play but didn't play particularly great against Clemson, probably should have been blown out by a lot more than the final score. Uh, our numbers think that NC State should be, uh, you know, more than a field goal favorite. They were two and a half officially uh, when when uh, we, we put these numbers in. But all of our projections see NC State between a four and an eight point favorite on that one. So, uh, you know, I, it makes me nervous. Usually we don't have this many disagreements with the odds makers, with the market. Could be a really great week, could be a really, really bad week, but uh you know, hopefully there's some value there. Hopefully our numbers uh, are, are starting to pick up on on some of these teams uh, a little bit after, you know, a week or two. But it's going to be wild one way or the other. That's for sure. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. We'll be back next week uh, to talk about the results from these games and then uh, look at the upcoming uh, SEC games. So uh, lots of fun next week getting the SEC in there. I'm sure Xavier will be Filled with, uh, filled with all types of opinions uh, uh, for the SEC and those and monster things. energy drinks. Yeah, and monster energy. I got drinks another one. Yeah, <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna have a twitch by the time we get there. But remember, you can follow us all on sports at uh, all on Twitter at Bogus Sports <laughs> for me. Uh, maybe I've had too many monster drinks here. For God's sake, I am a mess today. I'm frazzled with my internet and all this stuff, so I apologize for uh, being weird today. But at Bogus Sports for me at CFP winning edge for Nick at Xavier underscore Trish for Xavier T-R-I-C-H-E. And we will see you guys next week with better internet. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs> you can support this podcast on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash CFP winning edge and pledge as little as $5 per month to support the show and receive access to written content each week, including our matchup graphics, talent edge projections, and winners, all published before the podcast each week. 